0: Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice
1: and I'm John. We interview leaders, experts and entrepreneurs in the B2B space.
0: Giving you the inside tips, tricks and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Good afternoon and welcome to um, another series, another episode in our series. I'm really excited today to be joined by Andy who is CMO at Leadvida. Welcome Andy to the series.
1: Thanks very much for having me Alice.
0: So I'm really excited to talk to you today and specifically around what you guys have been doing over the past six months during this time of pretty unprecedented change. I've become pretty obsessed with your content and I think you've spoken quite a lot about some of the amazing results that you have seen by being really agile and pivoting your strategy and your playbook over the last six months, so one thing I pulled off, I think it was your LinkedIn, was like 11,000 leads in the last six months, which actually having just had a quick chat to you then probably is even more than that if you've got, what is it, like a 1,000 <laughs> sign-ups for the next webinar. Uh,
1: yeah, for tomorrow, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome results. And that's why I kind of wanted to have this chat with you because I think, okay, but there's kind of there's two things I think I wanted to cover is one thing is about, is Agile the way that marketing should be moving going forward? Is that the right approach to take rather than this long, you know, planning for three months in advance or six months in advance, as some businesses do. Um, And also how do you actually make that happen in real life? Um, And obviously being agile to event, external events that you have no control over is another thing too, regardless of whether you go down the planning route or not, um, you're gonna need to be able to be agile. I guess, can you talk us through how you adapted to March let's go back to March and reacted quickly and changed up your marketing tactics for the last few months like what So what kind of how did that look things happened. We went into lockdown. What what happened next?
1: Mm-hmm. So before I start on that I'd like on the agile piece Agile for me is like a word that like gets under my skin a little bit. It's one of those because <laughs> 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 No, nah, like I don't mean it. I, I like I think look I the reason why let me explain the reason why okay, so it does it a little bit because i worked for somebody before that just kept on pushing us to be agile right and agile meant doing all of the things but none of them particularly well okay Mm -hmm. so so i think like when we're talking about agile i think like from my perspective like the best advice i could give anybody would be yes move quickly yes make decisions quickly yes be agile in all sense of that word but i think what you need to do is is do very little you know, do do a few things. Don't try to do all of the things, okay? Um, like, that's, uh, and like, we can get into that a little bit, like, throughout this now as well. But, um, like, that's where we've seen a lot of our success because we've seen one thing was working and we just kept on jumping on it again and again so and again that, and again.
0: How do you decide what are the few things that you're going to focus on? I, think, I guess that would be... Look,
1: kind of. pure luck. Not I'm joking. So, so like, like, you asked how did it start for us and how did we, like, end up? The journey that like that we're on now with this, this amount of leads that we're bringing in for like basically no cost really so it starts it started with us really cutting down on costs anyway towards the start of this year just from a paid perspective so like i was reviewing campaigns like i started with lead feeder back in back in december and in january i was like reviewing costs and how much of the like how much we were spending versus how many customers we were bringing in from the paid channels that we were investing in right so a big spend on google for example And I said, well, I don't think these are being that profitable. I think we're just too focused on top of funnel metrics. So too focused on signups, whereas we're not focused on are those signups actually turning into revenue. right? So we did a lot of work on that early on in the year. So it was like pulling back a little bit like the plan at the start of the year. My plan was to say, let's cut back on spend. Let's focus more on organic and grow the organic piece, the free piece, free right you're still paying for content you're still paying for for people to write that content you're still paying for for the staff that you have whatever but like let's focus on a free a free content strategy to drive traffic to the site rather than giving this sort of sugar rush of um, throwing money on it and and making sure that it it blooms that way right so like that was always the long-term plan it just got accelerated around March when things started to lock down because as as we were, same with any other business, we were thinking, okay, well, we wanna make sure that we have as much runway as possible. What's probably one of the biggest costs that we have in the organization is probably marketing costs in terms of costs that you can, you know, put a stop to almost immediately. Like from my side, I knew, okay, well, we're gonna have to do something. We're gonna have to just start doing things and see what works. But like, uh, let's always focus on the content and let's make sure that the content is strong. And let's make sure that we're we're focusing on content which is actually helping people during this specific time. So, the whole thing started really, like we started doing webinars. So that's how it started. But it started because we, I, I I had a conversation with Alex Ollie, who you know as well, Alice. Mm -hmm. Alex is, um, Alex is the co-founder of a company called ReachDesk, and ReachDesk do direct mail, so they're a direct mail platform. And Alex had just been over in the US. He was actually in the US, and I think on the. I think it was the 14th of March or something. I texted him saying, Hey, you know, how are things going for Reach Desk? You know, are you seeing any changes in terms of like how the conversations are going with prospects and so on? Like myself and Alex know each other for a while. And he wrote back, saying, No, oh, I was just a bit like uncertain about what's going to happen next. And this is before everybody went into lockdown. So on the same day, though, was the day that Trump announced that he was going to close the borders into the US. So Alex was actually in New York trying to get out of New York when he was texting me. So I think like I've, in some of the, in some of the, the webinars that I've done, I've showed that process and I was putting some screenshots of myself and Alex and what we were actually saying that day. Well, he said, I'm in JFK now, I'm trying to get out of the US before they lock me in, right? Mm-hmm. So he so he managed to scramble back and we agreed, okay, like this was the Saturday, I think it was. And then we said, let's talk on the Monday, maybe we can do some content together. So we spoke together on the Monday, said, hey, you know, let's, let's try a webinar because we had done a webinar back in December and it had performed pretty well. We said, okay, let's do a webinar. Let's focus on how to keep on creating pipeline during this time when people are like, you know, so uncertain, right? And we called it "remain calm and keep creating pipeline." Okay. Mm-hmm. And we came up with the topic on the Monday. Briefed my team to start, you know, put the landing page together and all of the different assets together. And then um, we worked on a deck together, myself and Alex. We pushed it out then to the world on the Tuesday, like to reg- to get people registering for it. Within a couple of hours, we'd had like. I don't know, 400 registrations just after the initial push. And then by the time we actually went to push that webinar or to to actually uh, have the webinar on the Thursday, we had 750, I think it was. So it like, it just, it just blew up, you know? So uh, right after that, like reaction from the audience and everything was really good as well. Like people were like really, really interested in the content. People stayed on like Past the hour like which is typically unheard of you know in any webinar you get a big drop off right after about half hour but the majority of the audience stayed on until the end and we had a show rate of about 70 percent so i was like okay i was like there's something in this right so Mm it going back to your agile question the agility part here was like right after that at like 7 p.m my time or whatever i called johnny who's who managed the webinars for us and i said hey johnny We need to do another one of these. We need to do it next week. And he was like, oh, okay, well, okay, well, who are we going to do it? And I was like, I don't know yet, but I'll find somebody. And he's like, okay, well, just tell me who and what the topic's going to be, and we'll get it all launched and get it out and done. So I've got, in the the weeks leading up to this, Aaron Ross, who's the author of a book called Predictable Revenue and Impossible to Inevitable, quite well-known in the SaaS space, but also very well-known across sales teams. Like he was the like the the person that founded the outbound function at Salesforce. So like he's very, very well known. And Aaron had reached out to me in the weeks leading up to this saying, Hey, I love the content the lead feeder are doing. Hey, how about we do something together? And I've known Aaron from from doing some business with him in the past and so on. I said, Yeah, sure. Like whenever something comes up, I'll let you know and let's talk about it. You know, something had just come up. So mm-hmm. I I uh, I picked up the phone to Aaron on Friday morning and said, Hey, maybe how about a webinar next week? And he said, uh, "Yeah, sure, let's let's do it. Put in the time for the following Thursday." And like we launched on the Tuesday, and by the Wednesday we had like 1,500 registrations. And then by the time we sat down to do the webinar on the on the Thursday, we had 2,000 registrations. 191916 exactly was <laughs> was the number of registrations we had. And then we got a thousand people show for that webinar which again was just slightly over 50%.
0: That's amazing. So. Yeah, so I guess like a few things, like key things in there are for me, so in my traditional kind of marketing training back to the Thompson Reuters days, you know, we'd be told best practice, give yourself a month for a webinar, you know, have your, so you've got time to spread out all of your invite emails, you can utilize all your channels so you can drive as many signups as possible. So I guess what you've shown with what you did was actually you can have three or four days, you can generate more signups than you'd ever get over a month. And like, what I really want to understand, though, is what was the key to that? Do you think it was the timeliness of that content and then the fact you delivered high quality content during the webinar as well?
1: Yeah. So it was early on because it turned into something a little bit different because you, you started getting like a follower base then where people mm-hmm. are actively looking for the next one. Hey, what's happening next week? What are Leadfeeder doing next week? Who are they having on next week? But in like the first couple, it was like having content which was really hitting the mess. Like I was just looking at, okay, like we're a tool that our main users are salespeople. And what are salespeople most worried about at the moment? They're thinking like, it's March, it's coming to the end of Q1. How the hell am I going to close out my pipeline? And second of all, we're going into Q2. How am I going to start creating pipeline? Right? So I just said, okay, well, that's going to be a number one focus for salespeople. They're going to be worried because they're going to be worried about their jobs because if they're not able to create pipeline or close pipeline, then what's the point in having them in an organization? And that's what goes through a salesperson's mind. So I was like, okay, well, we need to focus obviously on this pipeline build and pipeline close and different elements of that, like how to do outbound at the moment. Because everybody was like, how the hell do you pick up the phone to somebody when the whole world's on lockdown? Like, can you do that? How do you do it? What type of emails can you send? So on like this outreach piece like we just kept on sticking around that topic, like it just resonated very well, and and also having the speaker, so the level of speaker that we had, like it wasn't us, that was like we we weren't reliant fully on our database, you're relying on somebody else's database as well, which is a big help, so whenever we did these things, we'd always really encourage, and when we still do it, we really encourage whoever we're speaking with to, to also ping their database, because I know that you're like, you're obviously, you're killing two birds with the one stone there, you're sending it to our database as well as somebody else's database, so it's it's obviously doubling up on the numbers. That's one of the okay. key drivers.
0: And so that, in terms of channels, that was the other question I was gonna have, is where did the majority of those sites come from? Because you've already said you didn't pay. So was it your email, database, also the speakers and then social?
1: So it was mainly email. So the, the top performing channel is email, by a country mile, like really, really the top performing channels from email. Um another another channel, as you said, is social, but social in the way that it's coming from our staff internally. So with everything that was going on, the great thing about what we were doing here was it really motivated internally the staff at lead feeder Because I was like pushing out updates out to the team, you know, the entire lead feeder team being like, Hey, let's make this the best one, let's make it better than last week. You know, let's really get behind this and then I'd mm-hmm. be posting constant updates saying, Hey, we're after getting a thousand registrations now, and everyone's like, Okay, let's get two thousand. You know, and people started gamifying it a little bit. So people were pushing it out to their networks. They were sharing it all on LinkedIn a number of times. Like everybody was getting behind it, which typically people would sort of ignore things like that. You get a couple of people share, a couple of sales people share, but then a lot of people would just be like, oh, whatever, that's a marketing thing. I'm not too interested. But the fact that I was getting more people involved and the team were getting more people involved, it helped drive up those numbers. So not really from pushing it via like lead feed or social, like won't get much from that, but actually getting it from, people that staff within Leadfeeder to share it, that made a big difference. And then when we started going out with some of the bigger names, so like, for example, Katie Dorsey or Dan Disney and, and those types, they were pushing it out to their networks on LinkedIn and they were getting, you know, they, they were getting high numbers in from from social that way, but only because the guys have a massive following.
0: I was just going to say as well, so did, has that continued, that enthusiasm internally from the staff? And I think that's quite an interesting point because I don't think a lot of us as marketing necessarily use our internal comms as a channel itself always and it can be quite a quick easy win
1: yeah so as with anything like the fire always burns like brightest at the start you know and people then started to get used to it a little bit and they got a little bit spoiled i think you know that's the thing so but i yes there's still people that are like that i shared one because we have this one tomorrow which has got a thousand sign-ups now and um, like the team did get behind it but not as same not the same as it was back at the start it does feel out mm-hmm. a little bit but there is still some excitement around it that's for sure
0: yeah okay great amazing and one question i have as well on this was so how did your team react so when you started saying i mean i don't know how you were working before but you know johnny in that scenario where he's you know you're calling him up and you're saying right we're going to go live for the webinar on tuesday like how do you get your your team's mentality to change and operate in a different way like was that difficult was like did you have to put any kind of process in place or has it and has it continued like now or do you have like a plan that you're following for the next few months or are you still kind of not being agile but being i guess uh whatever the word you prefer to use so agile agile fine we'll go with, with no we'll go we'll go with agile <laughs> we'll go with agile
1: it's fine uh, go with
0: agile. but yeah i'm just interested to know like how that works like in real is it like stand ups and sprints or how does it work
1: at the start, it was like, I think it was exhausting for the guys because there was so much going on in the world and everybody was in this sort of state of uncertainty and a little bit afraid about what was going to happen next. But, um I was very wary, like, at the start, like, we had to... Co- so around the same time that I spoke with Alex Ollie about doing our first one, I sat down with the team and be like, hey... Look, everything is a bit uncertain up in the air at the moment. We're gonna to have to make some changes in terms of like programs, not people programs, like spend and whatnot. We're probably gonna to have to cut back on until we know where we're at and how things pan out and how the how the cards fall. But like they everybody was like the team, the team are really good. Like we're a small, small tight team and the team were like very understanding about that. And I had to, although I was really uncertain about things, I needed to show a certain level of like it's cool we got this you know like everything's under control we know what we're doing like we're just going to do this and then we'll do that afterwards and then we'll do this afterwards so let's Mm -hmm. look at the next three things that we're going to do and then like we'll move on to the next thing after that but let's not do too much and let's not like make our heads spin here right Mm -hmm. so as much as I was uncertain about things inside I wasn't letting that uncertainty show to the team I was pretending let's say pretending but like more or less like operating in a way that also made them feel a bit more comfortable about it and a bit more confident about what we were doing. Plus the stuff just started working so quickly that they could see automatically, hey, there's actually something in this and we're we're like we're getting good results. You know, it was a mix, a mix of a couple of things. Towards like the summertime then I could tell that the, the guy like I was exhausted mm-hmm. and so so were the guys. Just mainly because if you're if you're operating and doing that so quickly every single week in, week out, it just tires you, you know. I knew from the guys that, hey, it was going to be like, we need to start coming up with some form of medium term planning. Like we're looking at it per queue now. So like starting for for Q3, we put together some not comprehensive plans, but like a good plan. We sat down together as a team for three hours over Zoom. And then afterwards we had a beer together over Zoom. And we just discussed through everybody's plans I you used to do different sections in the marketing team, like who's planning to do what. Based off of them already coming up with the plan themselves, presenting it to me individually. And then we presented it to the team as a whole. Then after myself and whoever's responsible for that specific area, we're happy with the plan. So, and yeah. then get feedback from the team and then go implement. We've done that for Q3. We'll do it for Q4. It's, you know, it's, it, we have, we have a guiding light now. Like we know which way we want to go. We know, we, we know the activities that we want to do
0: cool makes sense and then in terms of follow-up for all these leads i'm really interested to dig into that a bit because obviously like half the task is let's generate some demand and interest and then yeah. like the bigger task is actually like what happens next so at lead feeder what does happen next
1: so it's a lot of leads to be trying to the sales team all at once yeah. um and yeah we had to like also like slightly adjust our sales model a little bit with us because we work off of trials. So we've got like most of our sales team are inbound salespeople, which basically means somebody comes to leadfeeder.com, signs up for a trial, a free trial for two weeks. And that's when if they're over a certain size, the sales team will do a follow-up with that specific individual who ever signed up for the trial. Okay. Now these people hadn't signed up for trials. These had just come via webinar. So we knew that we needed to automate a lot of it. So Johnny and a couple of the other guys from the team set up some some email nurturing following the webinars. So just, just some classic drip nurturing stuff. And then the sales team would then cherry pick the bigger accounts that were coming in and, and also viewing the content, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's still there's still a gap there. So like my um I, I a gap that I need to fill that that I'm looking at filling now. So we're looking at the math behind hiring a um a marketing development rep, somebody that will get those sign-ups or those those registrations for the webinar that don't go on to trial, get them onto the trial and then hand them over to the inbound sales team. Question mm-hmm. is now though if the math actually makes sense. So I'm looking at the math at the moment. It's, it's, it's more or less working itself out, but um I think that's going to fill the gap there. But if we look at the actual results, so what we've seen is that we've managed to close almost an entire month's worth of revenue from the webinars that we've done up until now. So that's based off of people that have signed up for trial following being at a webinar. Again, like we, so the money that we've spent, I'll be very open on, so we spent like I think $1,200 and we did that at the start to test pushing it on social and mm-hmm. it didn't, like it didn't really push any numbers so we decided yeah. to stop that,
0: so. Never works, if that's one tip from yeah. me, never use LinkedIn for webinars <laughs> <laughs> <Nah, forget laughs> promotion.
1: Yeah. forget it. I'm
0: happy to be challenged on it, but yeah, never works. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. Amazing okay well that's pretty clear and I just put it out there, love an MDR they're like our favorite resource for follow-up to everything content at Cognizant but yeah obviously the maths have to work so one question I have as well is obviously your CMO of, of, of a you know growing fast growing company how did you get buy-in or did you even need buy-in from your CEO to kind of throw out the playbook and take a new approach like did you was was he asking all day was, was she asking you what are you gonna get from this before you go out and put all of your marketing resource and energy and effort into it? And to sort of slightly state, you know, this is what I expect we can deliver from an outcomes perspective before you started executing. Or actually, was it just a case of, because it was such a fast turnaround, you would tr- you tried something and it worked, and then you kind of had the buy-in anyway?
1: I didn't need to get any buy-in. There was, there was, there was no real buy-in like Pekka, the heat. Pe- Pekka is from his leadership style is like he hired me because like he knew that i had a fair bit of experience from the sales and marketing side and alignment there between sales and marketing and focusing on revenue so like i think from his perspective he was happy enough to know that i will be focused on that anyway i think the, the the core the key thing here is that myself and Yako or our chief revenue officer are basically joined at the hip anything that i do I'll always be speaking with Yakko about it from a commercial perspective. It'd be the two of us sort of making decisions on which way we're going to go next. Less so than with the with with the CEO. Like he trusts myself and Yakko to make sure that commercially things are moving in the right direction from a growth perspective. Yeah, like myself and Yakko, like fully fully aligned, and we just made sure we were on the same page around doing this. And yeah, there was a certain element, as you said, like things sort of working so quickly that there was no need for that sort of buy-in, but. Even with Yako, it was like, hey, hey, I'm, hey, man, I'm doing this webinar next week. Can you get behind And He's like, yeah, let's do it. And yeah. uh, he also pushed the team internally as well. So from the board, there was no, like, either the guys, they, they could see that their, their main thing was, like, let's try to, to lower customer acquisition costs and give ourselves the biggest runway as possible from a cash perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and my thing back to that was, like, we still got some targets to hit. So I'm just going to do everything in my power to try to hit those. And they're like, okay, work away. Like, you know, yeah. if, you, if you find something to work, and go for it.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And I think so there's a couple of things there, which is the fact that you're, you and your CRO are very aligned. And I know you talk about this a lot on LinkedIn and how very similar to Cognizant, like you as a marketing function are measured like on revenue targets. And that is obviously pivotal to aligning a sales and marketing team. One thing on this though, I'd love to like dive a bit deeper into is How's that funnel down through your team and what you measure your team on? Are like to drive the right behaviors and ultimately deliver that revenue number? How do you set or do you set sort of KPIs and key targets for the team?
1: So first and foremost, I'll always start with the revenue. So like my key message to the team is like, if the revenue is working, then we're working. Because a lot of our revenue, like 60 or 70% of our revenue comes from inbound whereas you know like the, so, so, like that's all marketing that's all marketing related stuff and then if there's a certain there's a certain amount of the team that are also involved in in lowering churn as well right so like i'll always start the conversation with like okay look always have the core focus of revenue if something's not working in the revenue then we need to dig deeper where do we dig deeper into for example product marketing one of the K- core kpis there would be for example keeping our customer churn down so what are we doing within the product in order to get people to use the product more, which we know lowers churn, right? Mm-hmm. Then, for example, anybody that's in the growth function. So, Johnny, as I mentioned, is from a webinar perspective. And then, Dara, who's also um, managing growth. So, Johnny's demand gen, like Dara's growth. Both of those guys will be looking at something which we call sales qualified leads, so SQLs. And the SQLs is basically like it's just a qualif- a qualification criteria which shows that our signups that we're bringing in are hitting a certain threshold and will deliver X amount of revenue. So we've created a sales forecast model which basically tells us exactly how many SQLs we need to be bringing in per week in order to hit our revenue targets based on conversion rates plus, uh, plus our average sales cycle. So we've yes. done the math, like very, very deep math in that. So from a sales qualified lead perspective, that's where I'd be pushing the guys. Now, it's also like, the good thing is that the guys now understand the numbers so well that they're like, okay, I know like we need to hit a certain amount of SQLs which we forecasted, but if we dip below that, that's gonna be okay because our conversion rates are going up and our average revenue per account is also going up, meaning that we don't need to bring in as many SQLs. So the guys are like digging into these little details as well and being like, okay, how can I maybe get more accounts in that are gonna that are gonna increase our ARPAs so that I don't need to bring in as much at the top of the funnel? So that's the way that I've gotten the guys thinking now.
0: How have and you done uh, well, that? I'm interested. Yeah. How did you okay. get them to think that way? Was they already
1: interested? Just, in that? Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, it was. I I think the thing is that people don't explain things enough. I think in the tech space, like when I first entered the tech space, there was lots of different like acronyms for different things and lots of lots of things that weren't that i wasn't very familiar with like things like net retention net churn gross churn SAS, all, like all these different things like the people just expect you to know like even simple words when you said to team, hey do you know what arpa stands for you know i you know it, it like a lot of people don't right even though they say oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, i get it so it was really just spending the time with the guys and just bringing them walking them through like what each of these different figures mean right and mm-hmm. how we could potentially influence those specific figures, and then just saying, "Hey, look, if you influence this, it's going to make your life a hell of a lot easier at the top of the funnel or then the bottom of the funnel you know like if you if you influence like how to how to increase like, like like let's say we do three things to help increase tracker adoption, for example, people need to to install a tracking script onto their website in order to use lead feeder, and if you don't have the tracking script, you can't be a sales qualified lead okay so like it was things like okay guys like." In order to reach your targets, let's just look at things like, for example, like a project that we have running is increasing this tracker adoption. So how do we get more people to install it, right? And then digging deeper into mm-hmm. the into the into the into the data, being like, okay, do certain types of users install it more than others? Like we know, for example, that our main our main users in sales. Um, however, the the normal person that that would install the tracker would be marketing. So how do we do something about that? So like it's really deep diving and understanding all these little bits but like again it was about explaining that funnel mentality or those little percentage to percentage changes having a big like impact down the bottom of the funnel but it always starts with the revenue because beforehand they weren't looking at revenue they weren't they were disconnected from that sort of thing so okay Hmm. signups we brought in leads now it's up to sales and we're, we're done you know and um, i think the conversation should always start with that revenue piece and that's if you base all of the targets off of that and that's if that's not working then there's trouble then they have no choice but to understand all the other metrics within there to get there
0: yeah no i think that's a really good point i think that's actually really interesting made me think about that visibility into the things that you're probably details you're in every day so in your head you like that that's obvious but it's not obvious and kind of giving them a view of all of that and how it's worked out and actually the model, showing them the model, talking through the model. I think that's really interesting. And so in terms, of, well we're just talking about your team, but I'm always interested to understand how other marketing leaders structure their team and then how, they're gonna, how they look to scale it as well. So could you explain like how your team's structured and how, sure. how you scale teams?
1: My team is currently, so I have somebody that looks after growth, that's looking for new channels for growth so mainly looks after all of our paid advertising as mm-hmm. well as that he's also focused on sort of the marketing operations side in terms of deep diving into data understanding all of the different data points that we have understanding the entire funnel and then sort of reports back to me if there's any trends going in certain areas or certain directions also do a lot of things from A V testing and so on so his personality is very much data driven and typically i'd have always somebody on my team that will be very 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 data focused and dar is that guy like he's incredibly data focused and incredibly analytic Mm -hmm. and in every company that i've worked in in tech at least i've had somebody on the team that's been that way and i find that like to have that person on call is like massive you need to have that person that's like really really deep within the data that's able to see like minor trends in areas that can have a major impact and like somebody that's able to interpret it from a data analyst perspective and be able to maybe translate that message to me you know because i don't have time to sit down with a data analyst for a couple of hours mm-hmm. and try to understand like what's what's happening from their perspective or or whatever but he's he's able to do that and he's able to translate that message from the data analyst that we have on the team here as well so there's dara who looks after growth as i mentioned then johnny's demand gen so um i have him focused on on creating demand in the market so it's sort of like a role which is partly brand partly performance i see the like the brand being related to the performance side of things so when i say brand for example these webinars i see as a brand activity because they're reaching so many people how do we keep on capitalizing on things like that and getting the brand in front of more people and getting more people talking about them like what's our next webinar and how are we going to get that so like one of his kpis would say like Let's bring in 10,000 top of funnel leads up until the end of Q1 next year, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's Johnny, and he'd manage everything to do with like that bit. David is is product marketing, so I have somebody that's ingrained in the product org. He would be focused on making sure that you know marketing messaging is is resonating with what's like what's coming next from a product perspective. Like typically, what you see is, and I don't know if you have this in cognizant, but I, I've come across this that the product org, what they want from a message perspective tends to be quite different from what the guys in the marketing team want as a message and how they present the product. And the closer you can get together on that, the better. And I I always feel that there needs to be that one person in between that's sort of like more so sitting in the in the product org than on the marketing org. Mm-hmm. But like everybody in the product org knows, oh, this guy is the marketer. And with that person, they're able to relay messages back and forth, you know. um so there's product marketing then i've got content so content as i said like it's a big it's it's one of the core strategies that i was trying to trying to implement so anna is our is our head of content she works together with a number of external contractors that we've been working with for a while in terms of writing our content like we release quite a lot of content as you mentioned before blog posts and and ebooks and and different bits and pieces but like our content engine is very strong and we've managed to like in the space of a year, like triple our traffic. It's a mix of technical SEO as well as, you know, mm-hmm. content SEO. The content side is is another area that I want. Like I've, I've just started to invest more in now as well. So like if I'm looking to scale somewhere, it'd be the content side. Then I have websites. So I have somebody that manages the website. I see the website as like a constant, a constant project. It's not something like, hey, we've redone our website. Let's close it now and we're done. I think it's something that needs constant management constant updating so it's doing that's that's enabling a b tests to happen on the site and so on dominic manages our website and then we have natalia who's a developer who reports into marketing as well and she looks after everything on the site and that's it that's it in the marketing team so the marketing team is like six people seven people including me and i call like so my my previous roles like previous companies like the marketing team my previous role was We had SDRs under us as well. So there was 50 people on the marketing team, which is almost too big. You know, we scaled too quickly. Where we're at now, if you want to ask me the question in terms of like right now with the world around us and how things are moving and so on, like how would would I scale the team? I'd be putting a bit more resource into the content side of things. I'd probably be getting like that follow-up function for lead gen, as I mentioned before, that marketing development rep. -hmm. But, like, if you have people all doing their job properly and focus on a couple of things, not all the things, then I don't see any big need for us in any case to scale massively. Like, I don't see us turning to a marketing team of 30 people. We don't need that. I think, like, probably 10 people is probably the max that we would need.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Cool. That's really interesting. And do you think, in terms of how you know you need someone else in a role, what's your sort of, I guess, what's your signal for that? Is it the fact that, what is working is working so well and you know there's room to double down, so like the content piece, or I don't know, is it just is it a capacity piece? How how are you kind of measuring when that when you need to add ahead?
1: It's a capacity piece. And then I'd look at so if things are if things are if the ball is dropping, like on certain certain projects, if we can't do certain things. Let's say for example an example would be with Anna, the head of content, she's, she's been so busy driving the traffic up really incredibly well that things for example fall off her plate which would be things like case studies for example Mm -hmm. so i'm like okay we need to fill that gap how do we do that well we probably need to hire somebody then i need to go into the process like we we do the math on everything here as well like we're looking at if we hire somebody are we like is that going to throw our efficiency ratios off so like we're looking at for example our lifetime value to our our, our, um, our ltv to cac ratios so lifetime value to customer acquisition costs on each of our different channels. So if I bring somebody into the marketing team, which is then leading into more sales in the inbound, probably outbound, probably partner, like how is that cost going to be covered? Is it is it going to affect our LDV to CAC ratios in a negative way, which is going to make us appear less efficient? And I'll only decide to move forward in that direction if I think that we can be still be efficient. Now. I'll also, if I see that the team is struggling with something, I take some stuff on myself to do as well. Like, if I, if I like, for example, customer videos. I know some customers, and I said, look, I'll call up a customer, get a video done, right? Done, and I'll, I'll outsource it to somebody to to get the editing done or whatever. It's fine. It Takes an hour or so out of my day, uh, but we it means that the guys can work on the things that are actually making us grow, whereas those other pieces which can be helpful in the long term. I can do a few of those in between and I I don't mind doing it. It helps me keep my finger on the pulse anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And something I actually recently had a catch up with my CEO and I was saying to him, I I don't know what the balance is between like operational and strategic. And I'm very operational, but I actually think it's important to be really operational. Obviously you need to have that time and capacity to do the strategy stuff as well. It's hard to lead if you don't do it yourself too, I think. So
1: good point I agree people see true it if you don't do it they they don't especially if you're new on a team if you're new on a team you need to you need to sort of prove yourself a little bit as well when you're leading a team and the best way to lead the team is leave from the front that you can do it
0: yeah completely agree and then one thing but I conscious the time but the thing I really want to cover before we finish up is about sales and marketing alignment because I know that's something you talk about a lot on LinkedIn and in a lot of your content I read one of your posts which was this sort of transcript that you had between a salesperson and a marketer. And you said, this is a major cause of sales and marketing misalignment. So the salesperson goes, the leads I'm getting from marketing suck. Marketer says, all of them. Salesperson says, no, not all of them. And marketer says, percentage. Salesperson says, probably about 40 to 50%. Marketer says, fantastic, let's celebrate. And the salesperson says, what? Marketer says we expect about 60% mickey.mouth at donaldduck.com and 40% quality and then you were saying that this that exact conversation is what has worked wonders for you in aligning sales and marketing teams I thought it's really interesting and maybe something you could talk to a little bit more
1: yeah sure so ever since I started in tech or in demand gen or lead gen so like my background is like working in other tech companies being focused on uh, demand gen so when I was with Amarsis I was like lead generation demand generation managed that for a global team and then coming to Exponia then after that was running the entire marketing there but also with a core focus on demand gen or lead gen one of the core things is like whenever I've joined a team it's always been like this like, sales have always said, like, if your guy says, hey, what's the number one problem that you have with marketing? It's always, I don't get any leads. Or as you said, like, oh, the leads suck, you know? Like, it's always, oh, the leads are shit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 like it's a constant argument, right? And the problem is that, yeah, a lot of them are. But us as human beings, right, we only focus typically on the negative, Okay. So we're only focused on those crappy leads that we're bringing in. Of course, we're only focused on those because, like, I still need to sift through them as a salesperson. So I've probably got a lot of leads onto my plate. Marketing are chasing me, telling me to qualify them, and I'm like, these are all shit, right? Whereas actually, as you said, like, probably like 60% of them aren't great. 40% of them could be very good. But it's about, for me, it's always been about teaching that to salespeople because salespeople don't know these things. Like. Like, so I know the benchmarks and I learned the benchmarks from somebody that I used to work for. He showed me through all the benchmarks, like based on his experience and like, I had to learn it. So, and that was me as a marketer having to learn it. So why would a salesperson that's never been in a marketing role know what the benchmarks are for marketing leads? Like, why would they, like, how would they know that? Okay. Now, one of those things is like, is is constant communication with the sales org. Like, so how I've overcome that in the past would be like, go and present to the entire sales org. Be like, hey guys, here's what lead gen is about. Like I I even had a slide when I took over the SDR team at Exponia, I went in and I said, hands up if anybody knows what lead gen is or what demand gen is, or if you know the difference between both of those two things. Nobody had a clue. Does anybody know what inbound marketing is? And nobody had a clue. Like, So I had to start with this like marketing 101, right? This is what marketing is. And this is how we market. And this is this is, you know, these are the different areas in which we can get people to convert. Do you know what average conversion rates are on a website? People are like, oh no, not really. What does that even mean? Well, first of all, let's start with like what does convert mean? And people probably didn't even know the answer to that, you know. So it would be starting off with really like marketing for dummies, right? Because you should like my the core thing that I've always come across is never assume that somebody knows what you're talking about. Because everybody pretends that they know what you're talking about, but like I myself run on that that logic as well, where I say I'd rather ask the question than be in a state now where I come off this and I, I have got something that I need to do and I don't fully understand it. So if I don't understand, like somebody says, hey, get the conversion rate up to 2%. I'm like, what is the conversion rate? Like if I didn't know what conversion rate meant, I'd be in a very bad space. And there was a time in my career when I didn't know what that meant. Conversion rate could mean anything to me. So I, I found myself having to ask those questions. With that, I found that like, you need to have a certain level of understanding that people don't always get it. And it's okay for people not to get it. So dial it down, start from the start, you know, marketing 101, present that to the sales org, make sure that they get it. And part of that is also helping them understand the things like the benchmarks, you know? And once you get them to understand that bit, they're like, oh, all right, okay. Because it also shows to them as well that you're on their page as well, like that you're aiming to get that percentage higher from them. Like that's always something that I've always made clear. And then they see, actually our marketing efforts are really good because we're bringing in like 50% of junk and 50% stuff that's getting accepted. That means our marketing efforts are doing really well.
0: It's just about
1: changing that in their head.
0: No, it's really interesting. I think that whole thing of don't assume knowledge is really important and probably something actually I think I'm thinking about it right now. I'm probably guilty of a lot too. So I think, Yeah, even just doing that would be massive for a lot of people and highlighting what real statistics, like what to expect from a statistical perspective. Amazing. Well, I'm conscious of the time and don't want to keep you too much longer on a Wednesday night. But thank you so much for having this conversation with me and digging into what you guys have been doing over the last six months. I mean, it is phenomenal. Anyone... If you to learn more about marketing or outbound, the content that Leadfeeder are putting out consistently is just it is amazing. So go over and check it out. Sign up to the webinar that's happening tomorrow. Tick them over that 1000 mark. There are still it's one more episode of this series to come, which is I'll be interviewing the head of marketing at Turtle Carla. We're going to be talking about why you should stop gating content. It doesn't work. And that's kind of a bit of a theme that's been running throughout the series. So if you're interested to learn more, then yeah, tune into that one and check out the full series as well. If you head over to our LinkedIn, it's all available there. So thanks very much, Andy. And yeah, look forward to speaking to you soon.
1: Thanks, Alice. Take it easy. Bye.